After each Sunday service, the congregation would walk outside the large wooden doors and see a multitude of individuals who were houseless and homeless. They would get into their fine automobiles and forget everything that was said in the church and talk harshly about those people. How they were undeserving to even be so close to their beautiful church. So to fix the problem, the next church budget meeting, they voted to put iron gates around the church, taking money away from the missions budget to do so. So, in this downtown Houston church thinks that would solve the problem. And years go by and another pastor comes in, but the mentality of the people stay the same. Each Sunday they see those folks standing outside the iron gate, still complaining, thinking how worthless they are. That those folks around their beautiful fountain now using the fence as a clothing line. And this time they decided to vote in the deacons meeting to call the cops. The officers forced them out to find another place to loiter. And this, of course, brought so much joy to those fine Christians that now they could see the pristine fountain, the beautiful grass, the, the wonderful cathedral-like church without the view of those people. Years went by again, and a new pastor came to the church. After church one Sunday, she walked outside along with many members and said, my goodness, look at all those people. The head deacon was behind her and he said, I know we've tried so hard to get rid of them. We've put up a fence, we've called the cops, we've done everything that we think we could do, but they just won't understand boundaries. They just won't get the message. And he said, what, what do we do? How do we fix this? And she looked at the head deacon and said, have you tried inviting them in? <laughs> Our passage today is filled with years of building walls and boundaries to keep another out. And the question of inviting in doesn't cross Jesus' mind, at least by the answer he gives, we realize it does not cross Jesus' mind at all. Because if so, he would have treated her like the paralytic that fell through his roof with his friends and had compassion. He would have treated her like the blind man that, that was on the corner who said, I won't tell anybody, and then ran down the streets and told everybody about this Savior who has cured me. Jesus invited them in without any hesitation or second guesses, but it seems Jesus is the one who walks out the doors of the beautiful church and gets in his fine automobile. It seems that in this passage, Jesus is the one who votes in the church budget meeting to put up iron fences to keep the separation 
Jesus in this passage looks totally different than we've ever seen him before. And this Jesus makes us <gasps> gasp. It makes us just turn the pages. Let's just go to the feeding of the 5,000 where everybody's included. <laughs> but there's something about this story that is of deep lessons that we can learn from this Jesus. See, for me, it's not the divine side of Jesus that I struggle with. It's Jesus' humanity. See, I want to know that Jesus has been tempted just like I've been tempted. I need to know that Jesus enjoyed bread no matter how many calories it is. <laughs> that he had people that aggravated him, but he still chose to love them. See, I want to know that Jesus knows what it's like to be like me as I'm striving in this world trying to be like him. And this passage is the relentless tale of incarnation, realizing that blessing comes with putting on skin, but so does struggle, so does bias and dismissal and concern, and we can only hope resolution and reconciliation. The story goes this way. Her baby is possessed. And the writer does not outline the symptoms of this possessed child. We just know that her baby is possessed and like any mother, she is going to fight and find any way for her child to be at peace. And I imagine that she has tried remedies and potion, religion after religion, but nothing has been able to cast out this demon. And then there's chatter around town that Jesus is here in Tyree. Now, the region of Tyree extended eastwards of the area of the Sea of Galilee. And this region was mostly Gentile territory. So it makes sense that Jesus would go all the way to this region to rest, to sleep, to, to rest his soul, his mind, and his body because he doesn't have to do the work because there aren't Jews there. His services aren't needed. But as much as we read this story and think she's the outsider, actually Jesus is. So he enters into the house. He lays his head down on the pillow and he rests. Y'all know one of those good after church naps that you just get some slobber going down the face. Jesus is, is resting, and I imagine that he feels her presence standing over her, and startled, he wakes up. She bends down upon her knees, and Lord, have mercy. Have mercy upon me. Pleading to bring restoration to her baby, to her child. And in return, she gets rebuke, she gets insult, she gets an ugly slur. 
She comes to him in the most human way possible, desperate, pleading, and he responds by dehumanizing her. Don't get it twisted or misunderstood and say he meant something different. No, Jesus meant what he said. He calls her a dog. Accurate translation is that he calls her a little dog. When confronted by this Gentile, Jesus explains that his ministry and his message is only for the Israelites. That his message and ministry is exclusive. It wouldn't be fair to take the banquet prepared for the people, the children, the humans, and give it to the dogs. I'm sure this isn't what she wanted to hear. My goodness, this isn't what I expected to read no matter how many times this passage comes up. But her clapback is priceless, y'all. Even the dogs deserve scraps. Bypassing his dehumanizing language and still fighting for what she came for. Unconcerned now by who he is, refusing to be belittled, it's as if her words flow like the monologue of Alice Walker. I am an expression of the divine like a peach, like a fish. I have a right to be this way, and I can't apologize for it, nor can I change it, nor would I ever decide to do so. Because it's for the rest of the world to recognize, to recognize that I am part of the divine if they choose. And it was this time that Jesus is to recognize. I know it might be hard to think of Jesus getting the holy wind knocked out of him from this woman's response. To think that Jesus changed. But this is the only time, the only time in the entire Gospels that Jesus changes his mind and rethinks his position. That this is the moment in which Jesus' sight and mission is reoriented by someone his people have always deemed as the outside, as unworthy, as unhuman. This Syrophoenician woman is a faithful Gentile, but can we also say that she just might be prophetic? is that through her words, through her just being who she is, she becomes a reminder to Jesus of the prophet Isaiah that it is too small for you to restore the tribes of Jacob to bring those back to Israel, but I will have the Savior, I will have the Redeemer, I will have the one to be a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation will reach to the end of the earth. And maybe this desperate woman pushes him. Maybe she stretches his visions of God's grace and makes clear to him of the unexpected welcome way that there's room for all Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, insider and outsider, even the dogs. Verse 
I think it's only right to say that there's a Syrophoenician woman in all of our lives. And we don't have to go to Tyree to encounter them. We all have something or someone that we have deemed below us or won't even give them the satisfaction of being human. Y'all have heard me say it before. It's been over 20 years, and I still, I won't use that word, dislike Landon Manuel from third grade. (laughs) He's on my list. We all have someone that we have othered, whether it be a group of people, a political party, or just someone with differing views and refuses to see a different side. We've done this over and over through races and religions, migrants, immigration, citizens, or not, othering. Exclusion is what gets people excited for some reason. It has been told that most newsreels are not about positive things, but something to gear people to put someone else as an other. That our world, our lens is all about othering. That it is impossible almost to get the wind knocked out of us by another's truth because we live in a time where we already have responses ready to go. Ready to fire off, making sure that our minds would never be changed. But the thing is, if the Son of God can be changed by an outsider or one deemed as an other, if the Son of God can rethink their position on an inclusive gospel, if the Son of God can be willing to hear and listen to one who his people has deemed as worthless, if the Son of God can do it, my goodness, why can't we? And not just listen, not just accept, but be an example for the world. But there's also another side of this too. Maybe you've been deemed as the Syrophoenician woman and you're just waiting for the world to acknowledge your pain, to include you in the fold of love and grace, to hear your truth, to say that your story too matters. There's truth in both parts of that. that not only are we a people to hear, listen, and include, and even be open to change, that we also need to be a people who welcomes and loves and continues to add on the story of people and the ways that God is working through them and us. The question becomes, who is it that we've been othering? Who is it that we need to invite? Who is it that we need to listen to? Who is it that we need to make sure is our neighbor as well? This is a story that many of you all have heard before, but, you know, if it's a good story, we got to tell it again, right? The infamous Mr. Rogers hosted his television show for children all over the world. 
an ordained Presbyterian minister. He was for the fight of justice and love and reconciliation. And it was in 1968 on his 1065th episode where he had an encounter with Francois. Now, Francois was much different than all the other characters in Mr. Rogers, not because he was a professional opera singer, but because he was black. When Francois and Mr. Rogers first met, Francois told the story of his life in America, being attacked by German shepherds and being sprayed down by hoses, by police officers. After that lunch, Mr. Rogers asked Francois, how about you be the police officer in this story? He was hesitant but willing because he had never seen that before. Now, you must realize two things about this story as we go into it. One is that the public fountains, public transportation, and public schools and even the public pool had become a battleground for racial segregation. Under the law, not only could blacks and whites not share into the pool, but for most pools, blacks could not swim at all. And the second part is the television in the 60s, this is mostly for y'all, the television in the 60s is much different than today. They didn't have retakes. So you just had to go with the flow with whatever was happening. So, uh, Mr. Rogers starts out in his usual way. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Won't you be my, my neighbor? It's a beautiful day for a neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighborhood. Won't you be my, my neighbor? And this day, it is hot outside, and Mr. Rogers is sitting by the pool in his fold-out chair, and he's talking about how hard it is in the summer some days when it's just the heat, and you just want to sit by the water and enjoy it. So nice. On this part, Francois, the police officer, comes by, and Mr. Rogers says, hey, there's a chair right here. Come dip your feet in the water, too. If you watch the episode, you can notice that there is some hesitation from Francois, wondering what is he to do because this wasn't written in the script. So he takes off his belt, he rolls up his pants leg, he takes off his sock. And he dips his black feet in the water with Mr. Rogers' white feet. And there's a pause. There's, there's just a pause as they sit there together as Mr. Rogers is smiling, but Francois is worried. I think that pause is so important because it's for the viewers to notice something that they've never seen before. For who they had thought for most of them as an outsider that Mr. Rogers actually includes in the pool and changes the mindset, the vision 
of so many people. But on the other side of that, it gives Francois an openness to see that his story, his life, too, was included, not just in the waters, but to someone to see him not as other, but as human. The question that we get from Jesus' story today is, who is it that we need to invite to the pool? Whose feet do we need to allow into the water to change not only our own mindsets, but those of the world around us? Who have we othered? Who have we pushed out and pushed aside, whether it's the Landon Manuels of the world or maybe it's even people in our own community? Thing is, we don't have to go to Tyree. Because it's always all around us of stories and remembrances of exclusion. What does it look like to be included into the good and gracious love of God? Amen.